This is an ABC podcast. So we're finally here. The election's upon us. It's time for Australia to decide. Hey, it's Dave Marchese with you for a special election edition of The Shake Up. It's been a wild ride, yeah? Hack's taken you across the country. We've listened to what matters to you. Hopefully been able to explain a whole bunch of stuff along the way. I should mention we heard from opposition leader Anthony Albanese this week on Hack. We did invite Scott Morrison on to speak with Hack listeners, but he was unavailable. It's not ideal, but hey, the most important thing is you know what everyone's promising, what they're putting forward. So it all comes down to this. And of course, we've got a bit more to reflect on during this shake-up than usual. A whole campaign, but also a whole three years. So I had to bring in some big guns. With me on the shake-up today, we've got WA Liberal leader Zach Kirkup and also a self-described proud trade unionist, a campaigner from the National Youth Commission, Sophie Johnston. All right, let's get into it. There's a lot to discuss. Hack. Prime Minister Scott Morrison, have you ever told a lie in public life? One minute, 37 seconds later. I don't believe I have. No, no. On Triple Jack. Yeah, I'm keen to hear how you're feeling out there. Are you excited to exercise your democratic rights or are you just relieved you won't have to hear any more about this campaign? Maybe you've already voted, like Sophie. And it's the weekend as usual for you. Let me know, one 5536 You can message in as well, 0439757555. With me on the shake-up today, former WA Liberal leader Zach Kirkup and Sophie Johnston from the National Youth Commission. Hey, like all big events, before we get into the really fun stuff, a bit of admin, you're geared up, you're ready to vote. How do you do it again? Don't worry, it's never too late to learn. Hack political reporter Claudia Long's got you covered. When you go to vote, the first thing you'll need to do is get your name ticked off on the electoral roll. They'll ask for your address and whether you've already voted. Don't worry, you do not need ID. You'll then be handed two forms, a big one and a little one. The big one's for the Senate. It's where you vote on who you want to represent your state or territory in the upper house. If you want to get this over quick, vote above the line. You have to number at least six parties in the order you want to see them elected to the Senate. The parties will decide the order of which of their candidates get elected, but they can't hand your vote over to another party. So if there's a specific order of candidates you want, vote below the line. You've got to number at least 12 boxes and it takes a little bit longer, but you can select a mix of candidates from across parties in whatever order you want. The smaller form is for the lower house. It's where you choose who you want to represent your local area. It's easy. You just number all the boxes in the order of who you want to get elected. If you're isolating with COVID, I'm sorry to hear that you're sick, but also you can register to vote over the phone on the AEC website until 4pm on Saturday. So don't worry, you're not going to miss out. Happy voting. The election with Dave Marchese on Hack. Yeah, Claudia Long there. And how good is Claude? A huge effort this campaign. Where would we be without her? Let's talk a bit more about voting because there's been a lot of frustration and anger over concerns that some people with COVID might not be able to vote. You might have heard about this over the last 24 hours. So there was this thing yesterday we heard about that if people tested positive during a narrow window, it meant they weren't eligible to use the phone voting hotline that's been set up, even if they hadn't applied for a postal vote on time. Today, there were some changes to the rules. Now, everyone who has COVID will be able to use that phone hotline. I want to know, did that affect you? How do you feel about voting over the phone? 
Let me know. one 555 You can message in 0439757555. Let's get into it with our shake-up panel. Former WA Liberal leader Zach Kirkup is with me and proud Labor supporter Sophie Johnston from the National Youth Commission. Sophie, first to you, the Australian Electoral Commission's changed the rules. Now anyone in isolation as of tonight can vote on the phone. Do you think that's the best option? Look, I, I think it's quite shocking that this has come a, a day out from the election and I'm, I'm concerned about what the consequences um, of, of such a late decision uh, might be. You know, it's not like we're just at the start of the pandemic. We're three years in. There's been multiple elections since then. Um, so I think at the very least this decision needed to be made um weeks ago, if not months ago. Um, and and I do think that there might be some consequences um, and barriers for people. Zach, what do you think? Do you reckon it'll be chaos on the phones tomorrow? No, I, mean, I think we're seeing a large number of people who are voting early already. I mean, over here in Western Australia, as of last night, 41% of the electorate of Canning had voted early, for example. I think people understand. I mean, the AEC are very good at this. I think they've been bound by the legislation. They made a recommendation, I understand, to the government. Government accepted it to make sure we could open it up. I think people are are pretty flexible and understanding and they'll pick up the uh, phone if they need to. But does it surprise you it wasn't sorted out before now? Like Sophie was saying, we've had elections before during COVID times. Um, The day before the election that we're having to change the rules and make adjustments, do you think that's a bit weird? Oh, look, it's, it's, it's not ideal, of course, but, I mean, ultimately I'd rather that we change it than didn't change it mm. and allow people to vote now who, who unfortunately have got COVID since that Tuesday to, to, to today, basically. So, you know, it's not ideal, but at least it's happened. I should say that the AEC is urging people who've already registered to vote on the phone to do that as soon as possible, they're saying. I guess that's to avoid some of mm. um, the overload that could happen tomorrow. So they're saying get onto it as soon as you can. Sophie, what kind of impact impact do you reckon it could have had if thousands of people couldn't vote? Like there was a lot of concern about it it effectively changing the election result. Yeah, I I think the the first thing I'll say is that when it comes to uh, barriers in voting and this sort of late change, I think is a barrier um, or will be a barrier for some people. It's often the most vulnerable in our community that's impacted. Um, that you know that includes um, some of our most remote Indigenous communities, um, as well as p- potentially people who don't have English as a first language. Um, but. Uh, this election, there are quite a number of seats that are at play, some with margins of only, you know, 0.02%. So, um, you know, Macquarie, um, the the vote there was 370 votes um, last election. So it really will uh, come down to a handful of votes this election in some seats. Um, and so, you know, that that risk that some people will be excluded um, could 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 prove to be a problem. We've got some messages coming through on the text line. Somebody says, no more bloody ads. Okay, they're pretty stoked that the election (laughs) campaign's drawing to a close. Another person says, I voted early because I hate waiting in lines and I only get two days off a week, not going to spend a minute of them voting for either of these clowns. So some really strong opinions coming through on the text line at the moment. Zach, you're in WA. You've got a lot of cases of COVID at the moment. Like I I heard that there were 17,000 cases that were reported on Wednesday. How are West Australians feeling about voting in the midst of what's happening with COVID? Well, we're certainly seeing a lot of, of people voting early now. I think uh, I was on a pre-poll in Subiaco, which is in the electorate of Curtin, earlier today. 
And you're right, we've got, you know, what, 72,000 active cases in, in Perth City at the moment. And there are a lot of vulnerable people, you know, immunocompromised or who might otherwise be sick and don't want to catch COVID, elderly who, who've got out early and, and voted early. I think the idea of the pre-poll now, you know, in some some cases, the pre-poll has been open till like 8pm at night. So just trying to get as many people through as possible who don't want to be in larger crowds. I think that's been really helpful. Uh, but there's certainly an appetite. I mean, I've, I've found it very interesting. Election on election, you keep on seeing this trend of people voting early and getting it over and done with much sooner than in the past. Yeah, I was going to ask that, Sophie. They reckon about half of eligible Australians will have cast their vote before the election tomorrow. Do you reckon that we're going to see more of this as the years go on, that people don't bother waiting for election day anymore? Yeah, I do. I, I definitely think it's a growing trend. And like Zach said, uh, COVID has definitely had an impact. You know, we've had a number of state and territory elections um, in the last three years where, you know, people have been encouraged to vote early, you know, to avoid a cluster of people voting on the same day. So I think it's definitely going to be a trend that, that we continue to see. We're seeing also high-profile independent candidate Monique Ryan. She flagged a legal challenge over this COVID situation that we were just talking about. Um, She's saying that it could still change the results in some seats. Do you think that there's a chance that people out there, um, Sophie, I'm asking this to you, will uh, not realise that there's been a change to the rules? Like they would have seen the reporting yesterday and not realised that maybe they can vote now. It's definitely a risk, um, you know, unless you're sort of paying really close attention to um, everything in, that's going on in the election. You know, like I said, it's a day before. I don't think it gives people enough time to really educate themselves on what the new process is. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's a big risk that people wouldn't have, um, you know, got the message and seen what they can now do. Let's go to someone on the phone line. Neil, what's your thoughts heading into the election? I don't want to vote for any of the clowns. Oh. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, you're just not inspired at all? No. Really what? We elect someone to run our country and yet they still rack up our debt every single time. All right, Neil. Well, um, interesting point. And look, I'm sure there are people out there that agree with you that think, oh, I'm not really inspired this election. Zach, what do you say as a politician to that? Do you think, um, you know, that's a fair enough opinion or obviously I think you'd probably have a bit of a different view? <laughs> well, I mean, I, um, you know, this this election, I think everyone has sort of said that they, that I've spoken to, that they wish there were sort of bigger ideas that were being put put forward. And I think there should be, this is a really important time in the future of our country. Lots of big issues in in Australia, across the world. And I think we should have seen, you know, policy positions put forward early. I I really didn't like that Anthony Albanese was, you know, effectively hounded for the first week like it was a pub quiz night about what a a specific number was. And I think that really put their campaign, Labor's campaign, on the back foot. This was a great election opportunity. You know, we get to decide the future of our country for the next three years. And there should have been a real contest of ideas. And I think that sort of set the tone. That, that, that Anthony Albanese press conference where he couldn't name the unemployment rate really set the tone for how the election's gone over six long weeks now. And it's a bit of a, a, bit of a shame because I think you get people who are already disenfranchised, 
could have really rallied around an idea, could have really rallied around a certain position, and I just don't think we've had that opportunity as much. And I think that started with, unfortunately, that stumble at the start with the opposition leader. Interesting, Zach. We're going to get on to that moment a bit later in the show, but now we're going to move on to some of the big kind of promises and policy announcements that we've had during the campaign. But first, some messages. Someone says, if you don't speak English, are there interpreters available through the phone voting hotline? I've been told, yes, they just have to ask for an interpreter. So if you need one, you can ask for one. Somebody else says, I have COVID and now I can vote again. A shame it's last minute, but good the AEC fixed it. They avoided a train wreck. The election. I want to thank uh, that fellow down under. Thank you very much, pal. Appreciate it, Mr. Prime Minister. On hat. <laughs> oh, what a moment that was. That's actually what Zach Kirkup said to me when we first met. He forgot my name. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't forget my name. He didn't forget my name. Look, it has been a big three years. And I'm not just saying that, of course, because it's hard to think of a bigger three years, right? Like, remember when the entire world shut down? That was pretty real. But there have also been natural disasters, scandals. Here's a tiny amount of what we've lived through during this term of government. The election. I have always believed in miracles. <laughs> Deadly bushfires continue to burn out of control. I deeply regret that, and so does Jenny. So I'll be getting back there as soon as I can, but, you know, I, I don't hold a hose, mate. China has identified the cause of the mysterious new virus. Coronavirus. Our great and abiding national achievement is to have one of the lowest death rates in the world, to have one of the highest vaccination rates in the world, and to have had one of the strongest economic recoveries in the world. The things that are being claimed to have happened did not happen. Do not go to those rallies. Do not go to those rallies. Morrison again forced to clarify his position on a religious discrimination bill. Apparently, students are being expelled each and every day. There is no evidence of that at all. There is none. The federal government is prepared to spend over 90 billion on submarines. Compare that to what they're prepared to spend on the very real epidemic of violence against women and children. The Morrison government will hold a summit dedicated to women's safety. The fact remains, this is a government that has done more investment into women's safety than any government previous. Oh, uh, town gets flooded again. I mean, sometimes I feel like quitting, but, you know, I just got to get back on my feet. With Dave Marchese on Hack. Yeah, look, what moment or issues define this term of government for you? I want to know, was it the pandemic response, the bushfires? There's so much that's happened over the past three years. Let me know. You can call in 1300 555 You can message in as well, 0439757555. With me to discuss, Sophie Johnston from the National Youth Commission and former WA Liberal leader Zach Kirkup. Zach, is there one big issue for you that sticks out when you think of this term of the Morrison government? Oh, undoubtedly for me, it's the response to COVID-19. I mean, and, and the response from the government and then the coordination with the state governments. I mean, we've all, WA is going through its sort of real wave at the moment, but obviously over East, you guys have had a lot of that already and you got through it a bit more, but, you know, that was a really significant decision. I, I Honestly, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, too much of a fanboy here, but the idea of... I mean, you know, you're a when, former Liberal leader, Zach. I know, I know, I know, I <laughs> know. That's, that's true. But, like, you know, when I remember when um, the Prime Minister shut the borders initially, and I thought, gosh, that was a big move to make. And that was a, a difficult decision. I think that would have been a very difficult decision. And the way that we've managed as a country, you know, state 
Labor governments with a federal Liberal government um, who have worked well together to keep everyone as safe as they can and, and now getting through that. The pandemic to me has defined this last term of government more than, in my mind, more than any other issue. What about you, Sophie? Is it the pandemic um, or is it something else that sticks out to you when you think of the Morrison government? I think it's important to mention um, the the issue of women's safety here and the, quite frankly, appalling way that Morrison handled it. You know, this wasn't just about a few bad comments in the media. It was a complete failure to act and take leadership. You know, Morrison had the Jenkins Review recommendations um, uh, for safety in Parliament House and he should have enacted them immediately, but he didn't. Um, And then we had the women's marches, you know, thousands and thousands of people. Um, And I was there in Canberra when Scott Morrison was just inside the building in Parliament House and he he essentially said, you know, we're lucky that our march wasn't met with, with bullets. And I think when people see this kind of contempt for women's safety, it, it does have really dangerous repercussions and I think it shows a pattern of, of a lack of leadership. We've got some thoughts coming on the text line, coming on through. Somebody says robo-debt, that's what sticks out for them, obviously impacted so many young people. Another person says, what response? I think they're responding to Zach. What coordination? It was every state for themselves. And another person says, Tracy Grimshaw coming out of left field and listing very major screw-ups that Morrison's made to his face. I mean, that was just a few days ago, but if that's what's defined the last three years... Fair enough. Um, The Black Saturday bushfires, Zach, were years ago, but obviously there are still people reeling after that tragedy. There was a lot of anger at Scott Morrison for his response. Do you reckon that's going to be fresh in people's minds at the ballot box or people have moved on? And being in the West, I mean, you would see the natural disasters a bit differently, I would think. Yeah, and I don't want to sound insensitive uh, to obviously the devastation that happened on the East Coast, but WA is already a very isolated state within the country and it just didn't have the same level of you know impact or resonance of, of what happened over there. Um, but undoubtedly, the, the bushfires, you know, symptomatic of the issues in relation to climate uh, and, you know, the exacerbation of that, I think there's there's a fair number of people, I imagine, who will want to understand where parties are on climate and how they respond to natural disasters and the like. I, I'm, I'm imagining in those communities as well, uh, there might be quite a concern. So, I mean, th- these are all, you know, really serious issues that, again, you know, I wish we'd had more of a conversation about over the last six weeks than, than you know, reflecting on what's happened over the last three years. Let's go to another caller. Tom's on the line. Tom, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. Hi, I'm Tom. I'm a junior doctor. I work in southeast Queensland in a busy uh, metropolitan hospital. And we have been working obviously very hard through the pandemic. Um, And I think obviously Australia's had a fantastic response overall and had terrific outcomes with regards to the pandemic. But There has been, I think, a neglect of um, Australia's increasing um, chronic health issues and that's something that I would like to see addressed by any new government. Um, Our hospitals are constantly strained. We're overworked every single day, not just doctors but nurses, allied health, support staff and we just don't have enough beds and enough funding to see all of the patients every day. Everyone works late. And um, I think, yes, we've had a great reactionary response to the pandemic, but we also need to invest in our 
future and um, build our health system capabilities as well. Tom, so that's my yeah, no, at the moment. no. Thanks for calling in. I appreciate it. I'm sure there's a lot of health workers that feel the same way as you do. And we did see the the you know the role of health workers, frontline health workers, um, very clearly during the COVID outbreak. And it was made clear that a lot of them are really struggling. We've covered a lot of those stories, Sophie. The COVID response, people either focus on two things, right? They see it two ways. Either the government secured the nation, they acted quickly to close our borders, contain the virus, or it was a bungled process uh, in terms of the vaccines and the rats. Do you think the COVID response will ultimately hurt or help the coalition? Oh, look, it's hard to say. I mean, there was a lot of state leadership involved um, in particularly around the lockdowns. But I think people remember, you know, the slow vaccine rollout um, is, is something that comes up quite a lot and and I think people are, you know, not happy about it. But also some of the issues that were really highlighted um, during the pandemic, you know, the issues of job insecurity, of, of lack of wage growth. Um, so I think people associate um, probably not a lot of positivity towards the way that Scott Morrison um, um, handled it. We've got some messages coming through. Alex in Canberra says, as an Australian living overseas during COVID, I strongly disagree with the government's approach to COVID. The country was left behind the rest of the world, isolated and showed no leadership or care for overseas citizens. Another person says, how about we have leadership that takes action rather than praying for miracles? Um, I want to ask Zach, what do you think about the campaign? Were there some topics or issues in the campaign that you were surprised didn't make it like that what didn't get much oxygen, whether it's environment, mental health, whatever it is, was there anything that you thought would play a more prominent role? Yeah, I um, especially in the time where we've been talking about treaty and, and things like that for some time, I, I would have expected or hoped that we'd have, we would have been talking a bit more about, you know, Indigenous Australia and, and our future there. I was really, I mean, I, um, you know, I really wish that we'd, that had been front and centre a bit more of everyone's sort of conversation because, of course, Treaty and, and you know, the voice uh, has always been has been a fixture for the last couple of years, but, of course, that's the culmination of decades' worth of, uh, you know, activism and, and work. And I'm really, you know, I'm really glad we've got Ken White here in Western Australia, the Minister for Indigenous Affairs, and I think, um, you know, there's, there's been sort of this quiet level of, of progress, but I just really wish that was a bit more front and centre. You know, the issues... Affecting Indigenous Australia, particularly in my home state, uh, continued to, to, to deteriorate. You know, mental health amongst our Indigenous communities is, is horror, unfortunately just continues to get worse. Unemployment, the the gap. You know, where there's a lot more work that could be done. And you know, when we talk about elections, look, you know, that should be changing the the, the direction of a country. It's also a time to focus on our most vulnerable people. And you know, undoubtedly, given the fact that in WA an Aboriginal male will die 13 years earlier than a non-Aboriginal male. I wish we'd been talking a bit more about that. That's really where, you know, first order of business we should have been focused on. Yeah, what about you, Sophie? Was there stuff that you just thought didn't really make it? There were some topics that just seemed both sides didn't really want to touch on. Environment might have been one of them. Yeah, exactly. I I think uh, climate... Um, was a bit of an elephant in the room throughout the election, which um, I'm surprising or not. I mean, we know that it's um, one of the top issues for most Australians. That's come out of numerous polls, um, but there seems to be, um, 
yeah, a, a lack of wanting wanting to talk about it. And, you know, n- neither party um, really has enough am- ambition when it comes um, to climate action. Um, and I think that's why, um, you know, we're, we're seeing the Teal movement, the independents um, making, you know, so much ground in some of the previously really safe Liberal seats. So climate definitely won, but also just generally talking about young people in the context of politics, you know, 18% of voters are under the age of 30. That's nearly one in five. And yet issues that, you know, are directly impacting us just aren't really being talked about. We've got a few messages coming through. Someone says, you can't blame anyone for natural disasters. It's just nature. That was Jake. Another person says, our vaccine rollout was the best in the world. And Mike says, as a Zimbabwean-born Aussie citizen, I'm constantly confused and feel sorry for people who think there are clowns here running the country. Australia is such a lucky country. Well, look, let's see what you think after we talk about this. The election. National unemployment rate at the moment is, uh, I think it's 5.4. Sorry, I'm not sure what it is. On hack. Yeah, who could forget that? There are a few gaffes on both sides during this election campaign. They stole a lot of headlines, but I know a lot of you were just angry that they were stealing headlines. Are they going to make a difference, though? Did the gaffes change your thoughts on a leader or even change your vote? Let me know. On the Shake Up panel, WA, former WA Liberal leader Zach Kirkup and Sophie Johnson from the National Youth Commission. Sophie, what's worse, forgetting the unemployment and cash rate figures or tackling a child, do you reckon? <laughs> um, to be honest, I think that image of um, Scott Morrison tackling a child is going to live in my mind um, for some time. Um, but no, I don't think either is like necessarily better or worse. I think the problem is that um, those gaffes are getting so much airtime um, and, and people switch off from it. You know, um, I think Zach mentioned earlier, during an election period, you know, people are, people are doing it really tough at the moment um, and they want to hear what our politicians are going to do um, to help them to make their lives better. Um, And when we have these sort of gotcha moments where, um, you know, a a headline can be created out of it, I think it's it's really disillusioning for a lot of voters and it really excludes the voter from, from the actual conversation itself. What do you reckon, Zach? I mean, do you think that people are also hungry for unscripted moments when they can see how leaders react under pressure, something that's not from a press release? Is that part of it as well? I think I think people want some authenticity. And uh, I, I think that increasingly you've got to stage manage these things as much as possible uh, because the slightest sort of gaffe does get a run and can blow out you know, any announcement that you're making. Uh, so it doesn't get any attention whatsoever and, and the gaffe becomes the focus. And the increasing sort of management, it makes sense. I, I get it. I've having been through a number of uh, press conferences that you don't want to go sideways. You've got to really tightly manage things. But unfortunately, that also does rob p- people of the opportunity to real parties, the opportunity to get their message out. I wanted to read some texts out. Lara says, tackling a child was a real Boris Johnson moment. And somebody <laughs> else says, Albo is just not professional. So we've got two different views there. Um, Zach, I want to ask this question. As someone who has lost an election, because you've mm. been through the whole process, yeah. what does it feel like? Is it a pretty bad come down after that i hate it obviously i hated it um no it was it was it's pretty terrible and you know it took a lot of adjusting uh, afterwards because uh, not only did my party not win uh, we got a historic landslide against us and i also lost my district um so i was out with everybody else and it, it is pretty confronting it is pretty tough 
you know, it takes a toll on your mental health. It takes a toll on, uh, you know, your your future uh, vision for wh- where you think you'll be going. It's a, it's a relentless uh, and relatively thankless task for anyone. And that's, and, you know, I, I admire anyone regardless of what party that they want to be for them getting involved in the democratic process. It's not easy. And, you know, despite the fact that many people don't like their politicians, it's probably quite a healthy perspective. It, it is still really tough. And, you know, come Saturday night, 6.01, there'll be some seats that fall pretty quickly. There'll be others that will take a long time. Uh, that, that waiting to find out, <laughs> I didn't really have to worry about in 2021. It was pretty quick for me. Uh, but that can be, you know, it, it takes its toll. And I think um, the reality is, Whatever happens, we should at least reflect on the fact that everyone who's standing is trying to do the right thing for the country and for the people. They just disagree on how to get there. What about you, Sophie? Any last-minute predictions or, you know, what was, what's going to happen to any of these leaders um, if it doesn't go their way? Uh, I, don't, I don't think anyone's prepared to make a prediction <laughs> on how the election's going to go. Um, I'm not even sure we'll get, a, you know, um, result tomorrow night hopefully we do but um no i can't say i can comment on losing an election sorry zach um no, that's I okay. haven't experienced that before <laughs> <laughs> do not recommend <laughs> <laughs> no nah, fair enough fair enough we've got some messages coming through someone says i just want to hear albanese's dj set yeah i don't know if you guys heard that but he committed to a dj set on triple j um sure. during his uh election interview somebody else says oh my god the unemployment rate bungle gets me every time can't stop laughing and then somebody else says, I don't give a shit if they don't know the specific rate. So there, a whole bunch of different reactions to those gaffes. Guys, that's all we've got time for. It's gone so fast. A huge thanks to you both. Former WA Liberal leader Zach Kirkup, thank you very much for coming back on Hack. No, of course. Thanks for having me. And Sophie Johnson from the National Youth Commission. Always appreciate your insight. Thanks for having me. Hack on Triple J. A huge thanks to our shake-up guests, former WA Liberal leader Zach Kirkup and Sophie Johnston from the National Youth Commission. And a big shout-out as well to the hard-working hack team, our executive producer Claire Bloomer, senior producer Serge Negus and our reporters Andrew McCormack, Claudia Long, Edwina Story, Ellie Grounds, Joe Lauder, Maddie King and AJ Williams. Look, now you have the chance to go out there, if you haven't already, and have your say. Happy election weekend. You know... I don't know what's going to happen, but one thing I can promise is that we'll be here on Monday to fill you in. Thanks for sticking with us as we've covered this campaign. And if you're in doubt, if you need a refresher, Hacks Instagram has breakdowns of all the big stuff you need to know about. So get on there, have a last minute cram, have a great weekend. I'll see you on the other side.